Well, it's good to be with you all again. Um, as uh, was mentioned, I've gotten to be with you all a number of times over the years. Um, I've been in Atlanta for nine and a half years now, and I've been here probably a few times every year throughout those nine and a half years. Um, <coughs> we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 4. And before we read our text, um, <coughs> I want to give a little bit of background, get us thinking a little bit um, before we read our text this morning. Um, I think particularly living in um, the old U.S. of A., as well as living in a city like the city of Atlanta, it's pretty clear that we live in a world that supremely values competence. Um, like I said, especially living in a city, a metropolitan area, competence in career, um, the ability to be self-sufficient is something that we oftentimes hold as a supreme ideal. Competence in parenting, rising above the challenge, whatever it may be in life. Maybe it's being culturally attuned, knowing what the conversations are that need to be had and exactly how to have them. Knowing how to talk about sensitive issues without causing offense. Maybe it's competence of having your finances figured out and a plan that you can execute over the next 10 years. Or maybe it's knowing your theological beliefs front and back. But as soon as competence becomes our central focus, something else will quickly become a question mark for us. If competence is the central focus of our lives, we will very quickly start to struggle with confidence. We start to ask, do you have what it takes do I have what it takes to rise above the challenge, to keep growing in my career, to be a good parent, to have emotionally healthy kids, to be value-added in my community or neighborhood, for someone to ask me out? Or maybe you're asking, as Village Church is going through transition and seeking to find a new lead pastor, does Village Church have what it takes? to find the right pastor, to reach and care for this community in East Atlanta Village, do we have what it takes? I'm sure that most of you guys have realized this already, but life is an expert at rattling our confidence. Maybe you forgot to respond to an email at work, or maybe your kid drops food on the floor and in a low-energy moment you lose it. Or you say the wrong thing and use the wrong language around a culturally sensitive topic, or you realize that the only people you know in East Atlanta Village are the ones that go to this church, and you haven't even talked to a neighbor in years. Everyone asks at least once in life, am I really cut out for this? But the reality is we probably ask that question a lot more than once. Sometimes it's multiple times a day. Maybe there's a few of you in the room that have sort of oodles of confidence and life hasn't shaken you in any way, shape, or form. But even for you, something in life will make you ask whether you have what it takes. Whether it's having trouble dating, whether it's marriage conflict, facing mortality, or even the loss of a friendship. But our passage today that we're going to read from Exodus chapter 4 is the record of a man whom God had called to a supremely difficult task. And this man that God calls is anything but confident. 
In fact, this whole passage is one, uh, and the one before it is the record of Moses responding to God's call to go speak to the leaders of Israel who have been enslaved for hundreds of years and to prepare them to be rescued from slavery and to share with them God's plan for rescue for them. And Moses' essential answer to God's call over and over again in this passage is, why would they believe me? Moses, though a Hebrew, grew up in the courts of the very Pharaoh of Egypt who oppressed God's people. And Moses' attempts in the past to bring some reconciliation amongst Hebrews were met with the cynical response that comes a few verses earlier, who made you prince and judge over us? And though God continues to assure Moses that he will give him the power and the signs to speak to the Hebrew leaders, Moses, in his woeful insecurity in this passage, in his certainty that he cannot be the man for the job, Moses continues to argue with God. So let's look at this passage from Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, and see how God responds to Moses. This is God's word written for us. Then Moses, oh, sorry, I started to read in verse 1. Verse 10 of Exodus chapter 4. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall, see, you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do these signs. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Moses' latest argument to God as to why he is not fit for the job that God has called him to is, has to do with competence. He says, the people will not listen to me. In verse 10 he says, I am not eloquent, nor have I ever been eloquent. Instead, he says, I am slow of speech and of tongue. It's a little bit difficult to translate the Hebrew language of slow of peach, uh, speech and tongue and to know exactly what it means. We don't know if Moses had a speech impediment or if it was, uh, he was always hesitant when he spoke or, or perhaps that he had lost the tongue, the native tongue of the Egyptians that the Israelites were speaking. But one way or another, Moses was not a person who was well-equipped and competent in speaking and particularly in speaking publicly. And to be fair to Moses, this is actually a pretty good argument that he's making before God. Because Moses is essentially saying to God, look, you want me to be a spokesman to a people who already do not respect me. And yet I am a horrible speaker. I stammer, I get stuck in my head, my speaking in public screams incompetence. Why would they ever listen to me? 
And perhaps you're here this morning and you can relate. Have you ever tried to love your neighbor who is radically different than you? And you find yourself wondering, how can I ever do this? How can I ever make a connection? How can I ever actually care about them or have a real conversation? Or maybe you have someone on your street that every time you walk out to take your trash out, they spill their guts to you. Or maybe you have a family member that unloads all their emotional baggage on you and you're like, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to respond. I don't know what to do with all of these things. I'm just another person trying to figure life out. Or maybe you see the needs of the community around you in this neighborhood, and you're just like, I see, as was mentioned earlier by Clint, I see these massive developers having their sights set on making East Atlanta Village a cash cow, and how do I care for the least of these in this community as people are being pushed out every day? How can I ever get past these insecurities that I struggle with or maybe an addiction that you struggle with or habitual sins when it feels so much stronger than you are? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, how can I contribute to the mission of this church when I have so little time and so little energy and so little money? And Moses says, why would they ever listen to me? Me, who is totally incompetent when it comes to speaking. And what does the God of the Bible say to Moses? He responds to Moses in this passage by asking Moses a question. And the question that he asks Moses is not, Okay, Moses, what are you good at? Let's find your strengths. Not, how can you get better at these things that you're weak at? Not, what are your gifts or your competencies? No, God asks Moses this question. Who made your mouth? Who makes anyone with the various strengths and weaknesses that they have? Who makes the mute or deaf? Who makes the seeing or the blind? The question that God asks Moses is at once a rhetorical question and also a profoundly revealing one. The rhetorical part is clear. Who made Moses' mouth? God did. Is God unaware of Moses' apparent incompetence for the task that he has been called to? No. Far from it. God knows Moses' weakness far better than Moses knows his own weakness. Even in your fear and insecurity, in your wavering confidence or even unwavering confidence, God knows your weakness far better than you do. And when we ask, can I be of any use? When I look around and see the success of others, the gifts of others, the apparent competence of those that we are surrounded by, God, in essence, says, who made your mind? Who made your body? Who made your ears? Who made your heart? Who made your mouth? He says, I did. And I know your weakness better than you could ever know it. And yet I still call you to what I call you to. The first important question that God asks and reveals to us in this passage in light of human insecurity over weakness is who made you? And God says, I did, and I know your weakness even better than you do. But there's a second important question that this text begs us to ask that we must answer. 
And it is written large in the book of Exodus as you read what's happening, both in this passage, the one that comes before, and the ones that will follow. And the second question is this. Who made your mission? Who made your mission? Who made your aim, your purpose, your calling? You see, what the scriptures teach is that God has made us, even and sometimes especially in our profound weakness, for His mission. So often I think the reason that we are incredibly frustrated by our limitations is because we are on a mission that is our mission. A mission of our own design that our gifts and our weakness may or may not be sufficient for. But who made your mission? The mission that Moses was a part of was explicitly given to him by God. He had been called to be a unique spokesperson to God's people on God's behalf to rescue them out of the land of Egypt. And when God asks Moses, who made your mouth? He immediately follows this question by saying to Moses in verse 12, Now therefore, go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God is saying to Moses, You think the weakness of your mouth is, is, is sufficient to thwart the mission, but you forgot whose mission you are on. On my mission, the weakness of your mouth will never thwart it. But in my provision, the weakness of your mouth will even further my mission. And if we, like Moses, think that our weakness can thwart our meaning and purpose in this life, then it is very likely that we are on some other mission than the one that God has called us to. What is your mission? What is your purpose in life? Is it to make money? to get a secure job, to be the kind of parent whose blog posts other parents would want to read, to be better than the next person, to be the one who's really reaching the hard part of Atlanta, to perfectly ride the line between edgy and orthodox, to have the perfect church for your kids to grow with, up in, but, but perfectly reach the full breadth of this community and the surrounding neighborhood. What is your mission? Who made your mission? Where did you get your purpose from? Who defined it? Why are you here? Maybe some of you, even if you've lived as an adult for a long time, maybe some of you are still living in the shadow of your own parents' expectations when you think about what your mission is. Maybe you're either still trying to live up to the expectations that have been passed down to you or trying to prove that you are not someone who is going to line up with those expectations but a different set of expectations. Or maybe you have slowly osmoted the American dream into your system and it has slowly begun to paint the picture of what your mission in this life is far more than you realize. Or maybe comparison is the thing that has driven your mission which is why you say, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, I don't have the gifts, because you look at the people next to you and you're like, they have more than I do. Maybe your mission has been driven by social media and seeing a picture of what life is supposed to be like, what your kids are supposed to be like, what your body is supposed to be like. Maybe the need or desire to be seen as different has defined your mission. 
the reality is that most of us haven't thought a whole lot about what our mission is, or especially where our mission comes from. But when we bump up against the weakness and barriers that so often keep us from getting where we are trying to go, we are often either defeated or angry. We're defeated because we don't feel like we've got what it takes, so why even try? Or maybe we're angry because we don't feel equipped to accomplish the mission that we are on, even if we don't even know where that mission has come from. And we find ourselves asking questions like, God, why did you give me this gift set and these weaknesses? I can't accomplish my mission with them. But there is no promise in the Bible that your gifts and your weakness will perfectly align with whatever mission you choose. This is one of the things about the American dream that so uh, gets in our head and I think messes, messes uh, with, with our ideas of what life is supposed to be like. Because we've been told over and over and over again, we can choose to do whatever we want to do and we can accomplish that. But the Bible never promises that our gift set and the particular weaknesses that we have are sufficient to accomplish whatever mission we choose. But there is a promise in the Bible that your gifts and your weakness are sufficient for the mission that God has called you to. What is the mission that God has called you to? In Moses' case, he was to be the spokesperson of God to an enslaved people. He was to be the mouthpiece of God's deliverance for Israel and the mouthpiece of God to warn Egypt of God's punishment for their oppressive rule over Egypt. But what about for us? Rarely, if ever, is our mission quite so explicit and specific as Moses' was in this passage. But the Bible is clear about what humanity is intended for. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says that God tells the first human beings to be fruitful and multiply, that they are to go into the earth to fill it and to steward it, to cultivate and to work. Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is no square inch of this world over which Christ does not come declare mine. And what that means for us is that our work, our daily work does have value. And that there is a place for us to wrestle with our gifting and trying to do things that most align with the gift set that God has given us and to contribute to the fruitful and productive work that we are called to as human beings. So your daily work and mundane tasks do matter. But there's far more that the Bible says about humanity's purpose than simply that. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is like unto it to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 28 to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded them. James chapter 1 verse 27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before the God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So here's the thing. If you seek to live out this mission that God has made humanity for, you will bump up against your weakness hard and often. 
to love your neighbor without clarification of who, without qualification of who your neighbor is, i.e. that it is anyone that crosses your path, to love your neighbor without qualification, to forgive as many times as your brother or sister sins against you is hard. To love others with the love of Jesus, never knowing if they will reciprocate or see his love, is hard. To seek to bring righteousness and equity for the orphan and the widow, the poor and the sojourner, is hard and oftentimes is not rewarding. You will bump up against your weakness hard and often. And even as Moses bumps up against this reality, God says to him, Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your heart and your mind? And God says, I did. And this is my mission, and I will see it through. This is why we pray, like David prayed for us earlier, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, may your mission be accomplished. You and I may be concerned with our competencies, but God says, I am the great I am, the creator of all things. Will I not accomplish my purposes? Your weaknesses are no barrier to the mission. In the New Testament, Paul says that in light of some kind of abiding pain or weakness, that he has prayed that God would take away or heal, that God would remove, but God had not removed this pain or weakness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, But God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of, of Christ may rest upon me. What God was teaching Moses and what he reminds us of today is that we are not intended to be on a mission that we can accomplish in our own strength. In God's gracious economy, our weakness gives us a clearer vision of God's power and goodness and grace. And this may not be a comfort if the mission that you are on is a mission for your own glory or to write your own story, or a mission to accomplish the American dream, or even to further the, the mission of Village Church in the particularity of the ways that you have dreamed it up. But if you are on a mission to love God and to love your neighbor with all of the things that you have to do, my oh my is this a comfort. Even after God's revealing question, Moses still ducks his calling in this passage. Moses says, regardless of the fact that you made my mouth, send somebody else. I don't want to go. And it says that the Lord is angered by Moses' stubbornness, but even still graciously provides Aaron as a mouthpiece. Not as a concession to Moses' weakness, but rather as a concession to Moses' doubt. One commentator says this, even when we ask even, what we, even when what we ask is a manifestation of distrust, God still bothers with us and provides for our needs. And we see this so clearly in this passage that even when what we ask is a manifestation of distrust, God still bothers with us and provides for our needs. And it is good to know that we are in good company when we doubt that God can use us in our weakness. 
God provides someone who is more comfortable speaking in this public context when he provides Aaron to Moses. But he still tells Moses, even if I use Aaron, I still want you who are slow of speech to be my mouthpiece. I'm not done with you, Moses. In fact, the rest of Exodus tells us that God was just getting started with Moses and how he was going to use Moses for his mission. But our greatest comfort is not just that God will use us in his mission in spite of our weakness. It's that God, the God of the Bible, who has no weakness, took on human flesh in the person of Jesus so that he might know our weakness experientially and intimately. The Christian story tells us that Christ's death on the cross is the ultimate picture of God's use of what seems to be the ultimate display of human weakness, to die in punishment on the cross, to be mocked and tried as a criminal, criminal, crucified as a criminal at the hands of the powerful Roman Empire. What seems to be the utter and complete defeat and weakness of Jesus And yet this utter weakness was God's means to bring redemption and forgiveness to all humankind, to all who would look to him in faith and to change the course of human history. And it is in this defeat that you and I find life. I'm sure that many of you uh, have seen the classic Disney movie, Lion King. It's an oldie but a goodie, and I mean like, the old one, not the 2019 one. I haven't seen the 2019 one, but from what I've heard, I'm a little skeptical of it. But there's this great scene in The Lion King where we've heard Simba earlier in the movie roar. And you know how puny Simba's roar is? Like, it's pathetic. He roars, and it's just this screech of a sound. But there's this moment later in the movie where uh, Simba and Nala are, are being chased by these three hyenas. And they're these little bitty cubs. And they get cornered in this cave, and these three hyenas are coming after them, and they're afraid, and they're backed all the way up. Their backs are all the way in the corner. And Simba roars to try to protect himself, to assert some kind of strength, to show the hyenas, you shouldn't attack us. We've got some strength that you don't want to mess with. And Simba roars, and it is just a pathetic screech. And the hyenas are laughing at him and mocking him. And even as they're laughing at him and mocking him, Simba decides to roar one more time. And this time when the tiny cub Simba roars, there is a deafening, fear-inducing roar that shakes the cave and and invokes fear in the hyenas. What's the difference between the first roar and the second roar that happened? Has Simba finally figured out how to roar? No. The reason that the roar is so powerful in this second roar is because what Simba did not know is that his father was standing behind him. So that even when Simba in his weakness had the screech of a roar, the roar of his father thundered beyond what Simba could ever be and showed and displayed his power. Simba's mouth alone would only embody weakness. But with his father behind him, his weakness was no object because his strength, the strength of his father was made perfect in his weakness. You may not be a super parent or even a competent one on a lot of days. 
You may not know how to advocate at city council for those that are being pushed out of this neighborhood. The present and future of Village Church may look different than how you would write the story. But brothers and sisters, our Father stands behind us. And the God of the Bible is committed to his mission, and he is committed to using his people. He is committed to using people that are weak, that don't have enough, that don't got what it takes. Do you feel insecure and incompetent this morning? God asks, who made your mouth? The text begs us to ask, whose mission are you on? If you are aligned with God's vision for the world, the way you work and his mission may play out very different from how you imagine it, but your weakness will be no obstacle, but rather it may even be his means to bring about his kingdom in some way, shape, or form in this neighborhood and in your life and in the life of your neighbor. May we pray that God would convince us that his power is greater than our weakness, and our weakness is no barrier to his mission. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning as people who are weak, as people who often feel incompetent and insecure and unsure, as people who feel far too small for the task of waking up in the morning and loving those in our own household or those who live next door to us. Lord, would you teach us to be people who look not primarily at our own gifts, our own weaknesses, to discern whether or not we can love our neighbor. Would you teach us instead, Lord, to begin to look to your strength and to your mission and to your kingdom and to know that your mission will not be thwarted by our weakness. But in fact, somehow in the mystery of the cross, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Would you help us to to believe that grace is more than sufficient, that your power is more than enough, and that our weakness is no barrier to your kingdom. We pray that you would do this, Jesus, for our good and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.